Uh, Genesis chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 6, and uh, we'll get into the message tonight. The Bible says in Genesis 13, 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together." Those of you that have been attending church any length of time, you're familiar with this passage, you're familiar with this story. Uh, Abraham and Lot, Abram at this time, his name hasn't been changed as of yet. God has called him from Ur of the Chaldees to a land that God will eventually give to him as an inheritance. Uh, He doesn't know where that land is, but he's following God's command. He's following God's lead. And, of course, his nephew Lot goes with him. And we understand that they, they, they're both rich, they both have so many possessions that eventually uh, each other's uh, servants and their workers start to argue and fuss and feud and they can't stay together and eventually they part ways. And so uh, we see that in this passage, Lot had the opportunity to choose, he had the opportunity to decide which direction to go. And he made a choice that unfortunately for him and for his family uh, was a detriment Uh, was a problem, and we'll see that as we study this passage. Let's bow together for one last quick word of prayer, and we'll get into the message. Father, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us to focus on your word this evening. Lord, we pray that you would remove anything in our minds that would distract us from allowing you to speak, from allowing uh, your Holy Spirit to, to stir us, to convict us, to challenge us. Lord, we pray for forgiveness of sins. Lord, cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, cleanse our souls. Lord, as we partook of your table this past Sunday, Lord, what an encouragement that was. Lord, being able to hit the reset button once again in our spiritual walk. And we pray that you would cleanse us of anything that we have done since then, dear Father, that's not pleasing in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every heart tonight, whether they're here in person or whether they're watching on live stream. Lord, may your will be done. We do love you and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Rick Weinberg wrote for ESPN.com, he wrote this story about a man by the name of Hank Gathers. Those of you who are familiar, you'll know this story. Obviously, it's a sports story, so uh, not everyone will know because not everyone watches sports. But nonetheless, he wrote this story. He said, the first sign of trouble came on December 9th, 1989 in Santa Barbara, California. Six minutes into the second half, Hank Gathers, the All-American forward for Loyola Marymount, he drove to the basket and he was fouled. When he went to the foul line, uh, he felt an unusual sensation. Uh, His heart was pounding faster than he had ever noticed before. Uh, He bounced the ball and then he launched a shot at the basket. He missed the shot. The problem came, he collapsed after he took that shot. Coaches and the school's medical personnel, they immediately rushed to Gather's side. And within seconds, he rose to his feet and he walked off of that court. However, something was definitely wrong. Something was not right. Uh, He was later diagnosed as having an abnormal heartbeat and uh, he was petrified. All he had ever dreamed of was playing uh, basketball in the NBA professionally. Uh, And now he saw that vision exploding before his eyes, disappearing before his eyes. 
Uh, he planned on being a lottery pick, a, a high draft pick in the NBA draft, a, a virtual shoe-in considering that he was the nation's leading scorer. He was the nation's leading rebounder as a junior, uh, and he was doing the same as a senior, and he was among the leaders. But this revelation of a heart problem was a serious blow to gathers and to his future. He was treated with Enderol. This is a, one of the class of beta blocker drugs that inhibits the effects of adrenaline and it soothes the heart rhythms. Uh, but Gathers detested the drug. He hated it. He agonized over having to take it. The drug made him feel sluggish. It made him feel moody. And his game, of course, suffered as a result. And he was unable to run up and down the court without getting tired. And eventually his shot was thrown off because of the, the, the drug, the, the, the medicine. And he would get woozy at times. He'd sleep in longer. And gathers continually complained to his coaches and to his doctors about the drug. Uh, he continued to ask them to reduce the dosage, reduce the dosage. And, of course, they said no. They said no. This is for your good. This is for your health. And, and so gradually, Hank Gathers himself, he began to cut back on the dosage of his medication. And he began to feel much better. He began to play better. Uh, he began to have more energy. Uh, and he began to uh, skip some of the required testing. And he began to do things on his own. And listen, Hank Gathers was playing a very risky game. Hank Gathers was making decisions that we'll see later on that will affect his life seriously. We'll get back to that story towards the end of the message. But many times you and I make decisions uh, that are small decisions uh, maybe decisions where we feel, hey, uh, this isn't going to hurt me or this isn't going to affect me. And, and these are, uh, are small, tiny decisions. But listen, we understand that eventually those small decisions have big consequences. In Genesis chapter number 12, we see uh, Abram, we see Lot, we see uh, their herdsmen uh, feuding and fighting. And, and Abram turning to Lot and saying, Lot, this isn't going to work. Lot, uh, we need to go our separate ways. Lot, uh, the land is before you. You choose. You decide where you want to go. And we see that Lot made a small decision. Obviously, we understand it's a big decision in hindsight. But in the moment, at the time, Lot didn't realize how big of a decision he was about to make. And so uh, he travels and, and he's going with Abraham. And Abraham says, choose. And he looks over and he sees the well-watered plains of Sodom. Those of us who have read the Bible, we know Sodom, we know Gomorrah, we know that story, we know uh, the, the horrific sin that took place at, in, in those places, uh, but Lot didn't truly know. Lot, I'm sure, wasn't 100% aware of what was going on in that place, but he looked in that direction and he chose to go that way. Determining your direction. Small decisions can determine Big consequences in our lives, where we end up, where our family ends up, how our kids turn out, uh, how our marriages go. It, it can be a small decision, but I'm telling you, we got to be careful with those small decisions because they do have big implications. Let's look at it. We have three points. Uh, we'll get right into it. Point number one, lots course, lots course. Look at Genesis chapter number 13 and look at verse number 12. Lot's course, his direction, where he decided to go, his course. Verse number 12. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent toward Sodom. 
Verse 13 says, But the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly. I, I, can, I can venture to say that maybe verse 13 is, 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 a, is, a, is a notification to, to us that maybe Lot did know. Or maybe he knew some, to some degree, uh, what these people were like in this city called Sodom. He decided to take his family to a very dangerous place. He, he didn't know anyone there. He didn't know the mindset of the people there. He chose to go there based on how it looked, the appearance. And we've got to be careful not to make decisions just on how good things look. Uh, because it can be detrimental. It can be devastating to us and to our families. Lot chose this course to this wrong place and it affected his family. Listen, he was focused on the wrong things. I remember uh, years ago there was a family uh, in my adult Sunday school class in Baltimore. And I won't say their name because pastor might know who they are. Amen. I'll tell you afterwards. Anyway, um, they, um, he came to me and, and they were sweet people. Just a, a good family and they had two boys. And he came to me and he, him and I were good friends and he says, listen, man, we're, we're considering uh, buying a house in a particular area of the state that would have been about 45 minutes to an hour away from where the church was. They were about 15 to 20 minutes away from the church where they were living currently. And I, he asked me for my opinion. He asked me for my counsel. And I said, listen, uh, I, I don't think you should move up that far. I don't think you should be that far from the church. Because what happens is when you're far from the church, a small inconvenience becomes a big inconvenience. And then what starts to happen, uh, those small inconveniences turn into big inconveniences. And then, uh, you know, you start to say, well, we can go Sunday night or we can go Wednesday night. And then you don't you eventually stop going at all. And, and, you know, of course, I told him, I said, hey, this is my heart. This is how I feel. This is my counsel. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. He did it anyway. They bought themselves a big old house. I mean, a tremendous, I mean, a, a mansion looking house. I went up there to visit them a couple times, and I thought, man, this is, this is crazy. This is impressive. And uh, lo and behold, not too long after that, about a year or so after that, they started having marital problems. And I'm sure they probably had marital problems prior to that. I'm sure that it wasn't just the travel. But listen, they started missing church. Uh, they started missing Sunday school. Uh, they started missing uh, time with, with, with God and God's people and in, in, in the church house. And, and eventually the problems got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where today they're no longer married. They've been divorced for years. As a matter of fact, the husband has already remarried. And, and, and listen, it broke my heart to see that happen. But in my heart I said, I wish you had never moved to that house because it looked great. It's a nice neighborhood. It's a big house. I mean, it looks like a blessing. But I, I'm, I'm telling you, we got to be careful. Those small decisions have big impacts on our lives. We see Lot's course. Let's look at point number two. We see Lot's concentration. Lot's concentration. And, and still to this day, once in a blue moon, I talked to this fella, and him and I are still friends. Uh, I haven't spoken to his, his ex-wife in, in a long time, in years, uh, and, and, of course, his children are now grown, and uh, I just, it breaks my heart just to think about that. And I believe it all started when they chose that direction. Let's look at Lot's concentration. Lot did basically the same thing because he was focused on, letter A, he was focused away from the spiritual. Away from the spiritual. Look at Genesis chapter number 13. Look at verse number 8. Verse number 8. 
The Bible says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Uh, Abraham being a, a man of God, Abraham being a man that feared the Lord, Abraham being someone that was blessed by God. Uh, uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible says later on in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, God speaking of Abraham, he says, For I know him, referring to Abraham, I know him that he will command his children and his household after him, that they shall and they shall rather keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Now, if I'm Lot and Abram is my uncle and I'm around him and I see the fruit of his life and I see God blessing him and I see him building an altar and I see him worshiping God and I see him being spiritual and I see God, uh, his hand of blessing being on him as a result. Listen, I'm trying to stay as close to Abram as I can. If it was me, I'd say, no, Uncle Abram, I want to stay as close to you as possible. Uh, Can I please, uh, you know, all right, I understand we need to separate for, for, you know, uh, for some distance, but I still want to stay close. I still want to fellowship. I still want you to have influence in my life. That's not what Lot chose. He said, oh, great, this is fine and dandy. This place over here looks good. Oh, that, that grass over there looks green, and, 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 and that town over there looks nice, and, and that, uh, situation over there seems real pleasant, and I think I'll go there and separate from my uncle. Listen, I'll do whatever it takes to stay close to you is what Lot should have said. Lot should have said, Uncle Abram, let me stay close to you. Uh, let me stay near you. Let me allow you to influence me. But he was going away from the spiritual, and let her be, he was going towards the sensual. Towards the sensual. Look at Genesis 13. Look at verse number 10. Uh, his concentration, he was not focused on spiritual things. He was focused on sensual things. Uh, he, he went away from his uncle Abram, and he went towards the city of Sodom. Look at verse 10 of Genesis 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. If you were to see something that looked like the garden of Eden, you'd say, man, that place is nice. That place is, is sweet. I wouldn't mind living there. Uh, that seems like a good place. This is what Lot was thinking. All right, let's continue reading. Uh, the end of verse number 10. Like the land of Egypt as thou comest unto Zoar, verse 11. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated. They separated the one from the other. Uh, Lot saw a fertile land. Lot saw an abundant area of land. Uh, Lot saw uh, in, a, in this plain were five small cities that included Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they were situated there. Lot was intrigued by the idea of prosperity. He was intrigued by the idea of physical satisfaction. Uh, he, was, he said, hey, okay, it's nice to spend time with Uncle Abram, but this over here looks really, really fun. I'm going to go over there. Uh, oh, it's nice that I have an uncle that's spiritual, but man, this over here looks like it's going to be a blast. I'm going to go over there. Uh, this, you know, it's, it's all fine and dandy if he wants to be, you know, a Bible thumper and he wants to be a God follower and he was, that's great for him, but I'm going to go over, over here where all the fun is. And sure, sin is pleasurable for a season. Oh, sure, sin, uh, it, it, it'll be enjoyable for a time. Oh, sure, you go somewhere and, and, and God will allow you to have a little bit of fun for a short period. 
You see, Lot was not thinking or concentrating about the spiritual. He was thinking and concentrating on the sensual. What he did not realize was that he was heading in the direction of sin. He was heading in the direction of moral apathy. And he set his focus on a city that was spiritually dead. Look at verse number 12 of Genesis 13. Verse number 12. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord. And they weren't just wicked sinners. They were wicked sinners exceedingly. I mean, you, you think about Sodom. You think about Gomorrah. God had, had had enough with these people to the point where he sent fire from heaven. Can, can you imagine? I mean, God's grace, his, his, his mercy was so exhausted with these people that he had, he had had enough. He said, no more. And he destroyed them with fire from heaven. They weren't just sinners. They were exceeding sinners. You see, too many people choose the wrong direction spiritually because they're more concerned about their careers. They're more concerned about their job than they are about the Lord. I can't tell you, I can't count how many times people have made moves from a good church, from a good pastor, from a good church family, from a good spiritual place because of a job. And usually, not every time, but usually these people that say, well, you know, this job over here, it's going to pay this much money and it's going to have these kind of benefits and, and it's this kind of area and, and, and it's just good. It looks great. It looks fantastic. Most of the time they make a decision to move because of a job without even looking for a good church. I mean, there's a problem there. There's a problem there. If I'm moving somewhere because of a job and I have no idea about the church situation there, I have not done my due diligence. I have not done my research. I think about John and Kelly Ordonez, as Pastor mentioned them earlier as he was praying. Uh, they, they came to White Oak Baptist Church. They came from Costa Rica to, uh, to here to Connecticut. It was a job situation that brought them here. But you know what they said? The first thing they looked for, am I right, Pastor? The first thing they looked for was a good, independent fundamental baptist church and i said amen glory to god praise the lord they made a tremendous move but they did hey we're going to put god first god first if god doesn't give us a church we ain't going there we ain't going there i don't know that's not proper english but it makes sense all right Uh, they he moved there he made a mistake too many people are more concerned about their careers than about god's will too many people are concerned about their personal goals Instead of God's will for their life. Hey, hey, church, can I remind us tonight? You already know it. Matthew 6.33 still says, but seek ye first. And you know what I like to say. It doesn't say seek ye second. It doesn't say seek ye third. It doesn't say seek ye fourth. It says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Y'all with me tonight? We need to be seeking God first. And then worrying about work. We need to be seeking God first. And then worrying about the house. We need to be seeking God first. And then worrying about uh, the environment, the, the entertainment, all the other things that go along with whatever, wherever we live. We need to seek God first. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know them. You can probably quote them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. He'll direct you if you're seeking him. 
You see, the problem that we have is that we're focusing, we're concentrating on the sensual instead of the spiritual. We're focusing, we're concentrating on, on what, what pleases us instead of what pleases God first. God needs to have first place in our lives. You see, a lot of things are out of place in our families because the Lord Jesus is not in first place. You see, a lot of things are not where they should be because we have not placed God where he should be. I, I saw this tweet from Clarence Sexton. Uh, he's the pastor of Temple Baptist Church in, in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, he, he is the president of, of Crown College of the Bible. He said this, and I love this quote. He said, uh, uh, he said uh, uh, I'll get it. Our vision of God determines our vision of everything else. Nothing can have its rightful place unless God has his rightful place. Are y'all with me tonight? Nothing can have its rightful place unless God has his rightful place. Uh, here's another quote that I like. It says, the secret to a happy life is giving God the first part of your day, the first priority in every decision, and the first place in your heart. First place in your heart. Pastor, I, I, I have to use this quote that we talked about earlier from Brother McKittrick because it fits perfectly right here. Uh, and, and Brother McKittrick, in his letter, when he talked about that Valentine's uh, banquet that he had for his people, uh, he threw this quote at the end of that paragraph, and I thought, wow, this is, this is phenomenal. I'm going to share it with you. Uh, he said this. He says, someone said at some point, you want a bad marriage? Put yourself first. Now, none of us want a bad marriage, those of us that are married, right? We don't want a bad marriage, okay? Well, you want a bad marriage, you put yourself first. You want a good marriage? Put your spouse first. And I would say, hey, I want a good marriage. I want a good marriage. I feel I have one, but, and I want to keep it that way. Then the quote goes on to say, if you want a great marriage, put God first. Put God first. And I, I tweeted that, and I thought, man, how have I not heard this in my 26 years of being saved? I couldn't believe it. This is something that I thought that I should have heard. It's a great quote. Listen, we need to put God first. We see Lot's course. We see Lot's concentration. Uh, let's look at point number three. We see Lot's conclusion. Lot's conclusion. And it's obvious. We know the conclusion. It's not good. Uh, it's bad because he chose the wrong concentration, which determined the wrong direction. Uh, letter, uh, letter A under point number three, we see an increased tolerance. An increased tolerance. And by that I mean an increased tolerance for sin and wrong. Uh, again, in verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked sinners before the Lord exceedingly, exceedingly. Uh, in chapter number 14 of Genesis, we see these five league of nations coming against uh, those nations that were in the plain of Jordan. Uh, and they took them captive, including Sodom and Gomorrah, including Lot and his family. Uh, and so they took them captive. They took all of their stuff. Uh, Abraham heard about this and he went and he rescued. He delivered Lot. He delivered all of those nations. And you would think, you would think that after that deliverance, after Uncle Abraham, spiritual Abraham, came and said, hey, uh, rescue, rescued them and, and, and re, uh, reinstated them and, and all of their stuff, you would think that Lot would have said, you know what, this, this place, Sodom, this isn't working out for me. This place, Sodom, I need to get away from these people. These people are sinners. They're wicked, exceedingly in the eyes of God. But no, Lot went right back to living in Sodom, right back to living under their uh, influence, right back to living amongst their filth, we know the conclusion. Let's look at it in the Bible. Turn to Genesis chapter 19. 
Genesis chapter 19, the conclusion of Lot's decision that determined his direction. His focus was on the sensual, not the spiritual. Look at Genesis 19 and look at verse number 1. The Bible says in verse 1, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night. And wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them, that we may have illicit uh, uh, explicit uh, physical relations with them. Verse 6, And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after, after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. He's calling them brethren uh, as if they're his family members. Uh, he's calling them brethren. Uh, it's almost as if he's bought into uh, the Sodom and, and their lifestyle. And uh, Do not so, brethren, uh, uh, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you. And do ye to them as is good in your eyes, only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Can you imagine a father doing this? I can't. I'm the father of four girls. There's no way. There is no way. There is, I, 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 I must be like crazy in the head to do something like this. To say, well, here's my two daughters. Do whatever you want with them. You know, I've been a minority in a sorority my whole life. I, I grew up with three older sisters and a mom. I have four daughters uh, and, and my wife. And, and now our baby, uh, our, our granddaughter or our grandbaby is going to be a girl too. So the sorority just keeps getting bigger. Whatever. Anyway, I couldn't imagine doing this. There's no way that I could do this. But his increased tolerance for sin, for wickedness, he's like, ah, it's no big deal, no big deal. You know, don't do this to the angels, but do whatever you want with my daughters. That's insane. That's crazy. We see an increased tolerance for sin and for wrong. We see, letter B, an injured testimony. An injured testimony. Look at Genesis 19. Look at verse number 12. And the men said on the lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said up, Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. And they said, Huh? <laughs> they said, What? Look what it says. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. You notice what's happening here? All of a sudden now, Lot got spirituality. And all of a sudden, he's going to say, hey, hey, God's going to destroy this city. And his sons-in-law looked at him like, you never talked about God before. All of a sudden, you got God, you got spirituality. All of a sudden, you want to talk about the will of God. And all of a sudden, you've never mentioned this, any of this before. You see, his family didn't want to hear his message because his actions were contrary to his words. You see, life without lips, walk without words is heresy. Because the redeemed of the Lord should say so. 
It's heresy for me to have a, a life uh, and I don't have the words to back it up. Uh, but uh, lips without life and words without walk is hypocrisy. If I say it but I don't do it, that's hypocrisy. When I have life and lips, when I have uh, walk and words, that is true honesty. True honesty. And by the way, uh, adults that are in the room, our kids are watching us. Our grandkids are watching us. They, don't, they know when you're saying, you know, don't do as I do, do as I say. It's not going to work. We have to say, do as I do, as I follow Christ, follow me as I follow the Lord. Obviously, Lot was not doing that. We see an increased tolerance for sin and for wrong. We see an injured testimony. And let her see, and lastly, we see intense tribulations. Intense tribulations. Uh, Lot lost his two daughters. Uh, he had four daughters total. Two daughters that were unmarried, two daughters that were married. The two daughters that were married, they decided to stay in the city uh, after he gave them the warning. Hey, we got to get out of here. They said, nope, we're staying here uh, with our husbands. Of course, they perished uh, as this, the entire city perished. Uh, we know that his wife, uh, who turned back to see the city because, man, she just couldn't get enough of it, uh, she was turned into a pillar of salt. So he lost his two daughters. He lost his two sons-in-law. He lost his wife. And then the two unmarried daughters, the two that he was trying to send out to the men of the city, uh, they got him drunk and they committed incest with him in, in a cave in a mountain. I'm telling you, that's where uh, Moab, Moab and Ammon were the names of those two sons that were born, the Moabites and the Ammonites, two nations that were a constant thorn in the side of the Israelites. Man, he had a horrible, horrible consequence as a result of that decision. As a result of that decision. On the morning of March 4th, 1990, gathers awakes with excitement. Loyola Marymount University is on its way to the West Coast Conference Tournament Championship and and an NCAA tournament berth. He arrives at Gersten Pavilion at 3.30 p.m. Game time is 5 p.m. He begins his pregame regimen by jogging around the track outside the basketball arena. The jog quickly turns into a sprint as he circles the track three times. Game time arrives. Gathers walks onto the court with his best friend, Bo Kimball, LMU's other brilliant player. Gathers wins the game's opening tip and LMU is off and running. They build a huge lead uh, over outmatched Portland State. Gathers runs the break in LMU's fast-paced attack, and, and it takes, he takes a long lob pass from Terrell Lowry, and he dunks it. He grabs the ball in midair. He slams it through the hoop. The crowd rises to its feet uh, in mad hysteria. It's the Hank and Bo show. Loyola Marymount, man, just running through opponents. Gathers is running full speed, dazzling the crowd by scoring eight points with ease in the game's opening minutes. Standing near midcourt, Gathers gives Kimball a high five, and then he gets in position as LMU goes into full court press. There is 13 minutes and 34 seconds left in the first half, and uh, Loyola Marymount is in the lead, 25 to 13. Suddenly, Gathers falls to the court. The crowd gasps. He tries to get up, but he slumps back to the floor, unable to muster enough strength. Portland's Josh Lowry, standing over Gathers, extends his hand, attempting uh, to help him up, and, and Gathers can't acknowledge it. And LMU trainer Chip Schaefer flies off the bench. When he arrives, Gathers' body starts to go into convulsions. 
Carol Livingston gathers on, arrives next, and uh, followed by Dr. Benjamin Schaefer, an orthopedist and then attending team physician, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dan Heislop. And uh, seconds later, they're joined by Gather's mother, Lucille, and his brother, Derek. Dr. Terrence Peabody, the brother of Loyola player Tom Peabody, rushes out of the stands and into the crowd gathering at midcourt around Gathers' body. Crouching on her hands and her knees, uh, Livingston shouts, Somebody do something! Please, somebody do something! Gathers is lying on his back. He has a pulse, but he's unable to comprehend what is happening. He is removed from the court on a stretcher, and as soon as the medical staff gets outside the gym door... They hook him up to the school's defibrillator, which was purchased just a few months earlier specifically for Hank Gathers. Obviously, we know what those are. They're common today. They weren't as common back then. And so when the defibrillator is hooked up to Gathers, it indicates that he has lost his pulse. Uh, an electrical shock is necessary. Three shocks are given to Gathers' lifeless body. He, he lifts his head. He takes two deep breaths, and then his head drops back to the stretcher. Rescue Ambulance 5 of the Los Angeles Fire Department arrives at 5.21 p.m., only seven minutes after Gathers first collapsed. Medics continue to use a defibrillator, and they administer CPR. At 5.34, the rescue vehicle leaves Gerson Pavilion and speeds off to Daniel Freeman Marina Hospital just two miles away. Gathers arrives at the hospital at 5.38 p.m. Emergency personnel work frantically on him for more than an hour, and finally two doctors emerge from the emergency room. They walk towards Gathers' family and friends. They stop. The situation is clear. Suddenly, a woman's shriek pierces the air. His mother, Livingston, bursts through the emergency room door screaming, Oh, my Lord! Oh, he's gone! He's gone! LMU teammates Tony Walker and Chris Knight, still dressed in their uniforms, begin weeping. Walker puts his head on the shoulder of assistant coach Brian Woods, the life of the self-proclaimed strongest man in America, a future NBA star expires far too prematurely. He made some small decisions that had some dire, dire consequences in his life. Listen, Christian, or non-Christian if you're listening tonight, the small decisions we make, the direction that we determine will either lead us closer to God and closer to His blessing, closer to His will, or it will lead us further from it. Let's make sure that we're careful. We talked about it last week, the power of choice. Let's make sure that we're not going to go towards the sensual. We're going to go towards the spiritual. Let's make sure that we're not going to let our flesh and our feelings and our emotions determine our direction, but we're going to let God, His Spirit, and His Word determine our direction. How about it tonight, Christian? Let's make sure we learn from these mistakes of other people in the past, let's not do the same thing they've done. Make small decisions that have dire consequences. Let's be careful. Let's be careful. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we love you tonight. Lord, we take this passage of Scripture that talks to us about Lot and the consequences of his decision. And Lord, we see in hindsight, obviously we know it's 2020, we see the problems, we see the consequences, but Lord, there are times in our lives we can't see the end. 
We don't know what consequences lie ahead. But, Lord, we do know that you know what lies ahead. You know the consequences. You know the future. You know tomorrow. And you've given us clear instruction and clear direction from your word. You've given us your Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to convict us. May we submit. May we follow. May we yield. Lord, please, help each and every one of us, or with every decision that we make, to seek to honor you. Lord, I know there's people here tonight that say, well, I've made decisions in the past. We can't live in the past. We can't live looking back. We've got to live looking forward. And, Lord, help us to do that better today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year than we've done in our past. May you be honored and may you be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray.